All right, we welcome you back into another edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Burn Burners. Chris Kerber, Tim Woodburn, John Hadley with you again. Thanks to you for downloading the podcast, checking it out every week. Uh, NHL-focused, blues-centric is the way we talk about it. We've got Irish whiskey, we've got spirits, we've got bourbons, just different stories that come up and we get to sample some different things. And who else knows whatever stories come to our heads over the course of uh, a single podcast. And fellas... It's good to be doing this. The day that we're recording this is the morning after the St. Louis Blues defeated the Vegas Golden Knights by a score of 3-1, to one, snapping a seven-game losing streak. We've got the Vancouver Canucks that are in COVID hell right now with 21 players testing positive, plus a coach, plus some staff members. That's mucking things up in the in the Canadian division. And then you've got, finally, a deal worth talking about as the trade deadline is on Monday, and that's a trade between the New Jersey Devils and the New York Islanders. So we'll get into all of that. First off, uh, it felt good to see the, the Blues get some goaltending and some goal scoring in last night's game, didn't it? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that was that was sort of a make-or-break performance curves. In, in a league, in a professional sports league, you're embarrassed on your home ice in the manner in which the St. Louis Blues were 48 hours previously. If you don't come out and show some grit, there's there there's something amiss at the Circle K. And even having a guy like Kyle Clifford take a beating for the team, and he did. I mean, we're all too familiar with what Ryan Reeves is capable of. Uh, but Clifford went out there and took one for the team. I think made a huge statement that there's still some life left in this team. And Bennington turns in, if if not the best, certainly among the two or three best performances he has all year long. And you throw in, let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something. Tarasenko brought back some glorious memories of what Tarasenko was. And maybe in time we'll be again. But what a glorious way. And what a phenomenal athletic play it was to put the Blues up one nothing. I'm not going to get overly excited over 60 minutes of hockey because the previous 420-plus minutes of hockey <laughs> were heinous and uh, as about as painful as any Blues fan will endure. But, the, you know, let's, let's, let's keep in mind, you know, it, it took a butt-whooping I want to say against the Minnesota Wild a couple of years ago for this team to turn it around. Who knows? Maybe that six to one defeat, maybe that embarrassment, maybe that utter useless performance by the team collectively will prove to be the jumping off point again for this team putting it together as they continue an extraordinarily tough stretch of hockey for the next three and a half weeks. I'm, I, I, I don't want to overdo one game, but if nothing else, it was refreshing to know that there was a semblance of pride and fight left in this hockey team going up against a Vegas team that, you know, is, is fighting for, you know, its own jockey with with Colorado in this league. So, anyhow, it, it was uh, it was it was one of those nights that you just sit back and you enjoy because I don't know about you boys, but there hasn't been too many games this year that I didn't have doubt. Last night, even though the game was close for the vast majority of the contest, there was no question in my mind 
the Blues are going to win that game after they won two nothing. I had no anxiety about that game whatsoever. It was it was sort of eerie, in a good way, uh, to watch last night because the Blues were dominated. The NHL uh, apparently has adjusted the total shots in the game. The post dispatch uh, box score this morning had uh, Vegas with forty eight shots. The NHL has now elevated that to fifty one, which means Bennington made fifty saves last night. We said on this podcast many a time that. We're still waiting for that game this year where Jordan Bennington wins the Blues a game. Well, without question, he did that last night. Uh, I'll tell you this. The last team I want to see in the first round of the playoffs in case the Blues are able to squeak in is Vegas because Vegas dominates them. You know, this this sort of, in, a, in an eerie way, reminded me of Game 7 against Boston in the 19 Cup where the Blues scored two first-period goals early one early and one late in the period, but they scored two first-period goals despite being outplayed, but Bennington made spectacular save after spectacular save, then a scoreless second period in which Bennington continues to make spectacular saves. An unlikely person comes uh, along uh, in Jake Wallman and gives them a third goal, which is exactly what happened in Game 7, and then, you know, the Blues gave up a, a late one and, and hung on for the win. Of course, they got, they got a fourth goal in that game where they didn't get that fourth goal last night, but, you know, they are not going to win a lot of hockey games, giving up 50 shots on goal and 10 power play shots on goal in a game. The goaltender won them the game last night, but this team is still going to have to play tons better. And Vegas, based on the way they have played the Blues in St. Louis specifically, and overall, they're the last team I'd want the Blues to play uh, in the first round of the playoffs if they can squeak in. Uh, if they can get that four spot, you got to hope Colorado gets in there because the Blues can't hang with this team. Vegas is not only a bigger team than the Blues, but they're a quicker team. And how often can you say that? They're bigger and they're quicker. They dominated last night, and the Blues still came away with a win. And hopefully they can, that can jumpstart because their game still needs to get a lot better. I know, but the, the interesting thing about that is, and Vegas didn't get their first regulation win over the Blues until this year. All right, So even as good as Las Vegas has been, the Blues have found a way to play them. And Jordan Bennington, who has now played four games against Vegas out of the six that they've played this year, Jordan Bennington has picked up points in three of those four games. They're two one-on-one in those games. So I don't disagree with you from the dominant standpoint. I think the Blues over the last two years have struggled more against teams that have the kind of speed. The Blues aren't built with speed. I think they're trying to transition to that. But that takes some time, that takes a process, and you've got to change some personnel to be able to do it. But in order to win right now in the National Hockey League, and go back to, you know, the Blues, a couple of games ago, part of this losing streak, they get shut out by by the Minnesota Wild. Cam Talbot makes 37 saves in the game. A game where the Blues only allowed 11 shots on goal to Minnesota. And they've got seven games now coming up against the Minnesota Wild here over the next few weeks. Starting, you know, well, heck, starting tomorrow night, the back-to-backs Friday and Saturday. We had a stretch during this losing streak where the number of shots on goal the Blues put to the net, the other team's goaltender's making the saves, and the other team's goaltender was a number one or number two star in three or four of those games. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Last night was the first time. Now, on the radio side of things, just so fans know, we give out a different three stars than you might see officially in the building. Now, last night, I think they were pretty much the same. That's because I think we look at it differently. But on the radio side of things, the Blues goaltenders were not a number one star since game four of the regular season. Since game four. And and the bottom line is the goalie's job is to make up for the mistakes of everybody else on the ice. And, and that hadn't been happening. And so I think a turnaround for the St. Louis Blues had to start in between the pipes. 
You needed good quality goaltending. You needed saves that come at the right time at the key moment. You need a little luck, too. They hit a post. Some shots went wide. You know, and, and the Blues defensive zone coverage right now is still a bit of a, an enigma and a battle as they're trying to still work through some things. But that's why your goaltender is there, and that's where the goaltending can make a big difference. Part two that makes a big difference to me, guys, and that was the second game back for Colton Pareko. Uh, I, the first game back, I don't even count. I don't even look at it. I have zero expectations and somebody comes back from missing 21 games other than just do me a favor and get out of that game healthy, right? But you could see the difference last night in just the stick of Pareko and what it means and how much they've missed 22 minutes a night out of that guy. Well, I'll tell you this much, Gerbs. The first game back against Vegas, literally, <clears throat> Well, there was many thoughts going through my mind after that game. But one of them was, what the hell did they put Pareko on the ice for? You're talking about a phenomenal athlete, athlete, long stride, long reach, this, that, and the other thing. He's skating like Bill Murray in baby steps. He's not, you know, fluid with his skating whatsoever. This guy's obviously tentative. He's not ready to play. I don't get it. And then he turned in a performance like he did last night. I mean... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know exactly what the Blues game plan was in game two against Vegas. Um, I, I I have no problem with Bennington having to win. I mean, I look, I look at Bennington like a number one starter on a baseball team. I expect my number one starter to go out there against the best of the best and make it happen. Bennington did last night, but Pareko, wow. Justin Falk picked up his game significantly. I mean, it's just Pareko just makes everyone else on the ice better. But in addition to Bennington, when I could sit here and look at my notes and write down Braden Shen, no points, great effort. Sammy Blay, maybe his best game of the year overall. Kyle Clifford stood up for the team. Dropped in front of some shots. And I can go down the list and, and not even mention Tarasenko or O'Reilly. You know, I mean, it's just that that was Bennington unquestionably, as Tim so duly noted, and as you just emphasized, Bennington was the difference in the game. But when I'm impressed from a, um, a bottom up sort of venture in grading a team, from the bottom up, that was, in the truest sense, a total team effort. That might be as good a game as I watched out of Braden Shen without scoring a point all year long. His effort last night was very legit in my estimation. I don't know how you guys thought about it, but uh, the only guy on this team that continues to have me scratching my head um, is, is Robert Thomas. It's just, it's just Robert Thomas is just a non-factor at this point in time. I'm not sure whether he's still getting his legs, how healthy he is, you know, but at some point in time with this schedule that lies ahead, if Robert Thomas is going to be on the ice, Robert Thomas is going to have to make a difference. Tim, do you remember at the beginning of the season when we started doing this podcast, Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners, one of the key people we talked about was Robert Thomas, and, and everyone was excited, okay, it's it's time for him to shine, and, and you put him in a top six role. And, and we were talking about this thing. Well, wait a minute now. Robert Thomas is a centerman. And we've got Braden Shen, 
who without a shred of doubt wants to play center. Make no mistake about it. Will he play the wing? Yeah, but he's a centerman. And his best hockey with the St. Louis Blues has been as a centerman. And you've got Ryan O'Reilly. Well, for you to play center in a top six role with the St. Louis Blues right now, you've got to unseat one of those two guys. And so the only way it made sense for Robert Thomas to be in a top six role is if you move Shen to the wing, which has been tried, or if Robert Thomas plays the wing. But Craig Berube came out during training camp and said, man, nothing's set in stone. you got to earn that spot. And then, yeah, the he didn't have a great start. Uh, he had started to have a really good game prior to injuring his wrist on that fall. And then, you know, now it's just getting back at it after missing a ton of time. He he does remain right now just a, a bit of an enigma. He is definitely a passer. He's not a shooter, you know. But at some point, you are going to have to see some production rise in Robert Thomas. Tim, before last night's game, when the Blues were mired in the two-win in the last 15-game performance that they had, I was looking up and down the roster with the trading deadline being next Monday, and I said, who on this team is untouchable? Who on this team is legitimately untouchable? And, and I was like, putting check marks, okay, no O'Reilly untouchable. Ben- oh, hold on, let me guess, let me guess. Zach Sanford and Vince Dunn untouchable? No, they 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 were they had a T next to them, John. That stands for touchable and not in a sexual <laughs> way. So I I had a T next to both of them, but as I got to Jaden Schwartz, I put a T. As I got to Mike Hoffman, I obviously put a T. As I got to Robert Thomas, I thought long and hard about it and I said, you know what? Uh, I'm not gonna compare apples to apples to Robbie Sabri, but maybe this is the guy that just needs to change the scenery because this this guy skates like a whirling dervish. He, he's actually a very slick passer. He hasn't really played on a consistent line with anybody all year, but you can pretty much say that about anybody on this team. So I'm not going to use that as an excuse. But when you have all of that speed and all of that ability to, to dangle in the corner and to shake guys and to walk out into the slot, and I realize the whole team's been struggling offensively, but when you've got that kind of talent and you've got one goal all season, and you've got one point in your last 11 games. I, I don't know what they could even get for him, but I put a team next to him. And I put a team next to Schwartz. And I put a team next to Dunn. Schwartz is going to be unrestricted free agent. You look at what New Jersey got for Palmieri and Zajac. They got a boatload. And if these in these next two games, and they, they have 11 games left in the month, six Minnesota, four Colorado, and throwing an Arizona in there. If, if they, STB, with PB standing for the bed in the next two games, I, I would be shocked to not see something to shake this team up. Tim, okay, and, and, hang and, on. But and, and, Robert Thomas, where, where I would where I push back on you on that is yes, is this team continued to struggle? I'd actually think, you know, I, I think I think there are far more touchables than untouchables, without a doubt. But we don't have much coming in terms of skill right now in the pipeline. You've got, you know, you've got the Austin Paganskis and stuff. You've got the Mackenzie McEachrins. But but not much in terms of the offensive side of things. And so Robert Thomas, who is still contract controlled for quite a while now, and he's a restricted free agent at the end of this season. So right now, the Blues in a flat cap scenario are getting a bit of a bonus with Thomas having a rough year, Right. Because you're not going to have to pay him as much with the year that he's having. 
So the reality of it is, is to me, he does become one of those untouchables unless you're getting something back for him that that you you've got some yeah. skilled forward on on the front side. Now the Schwartz one, a, a, you are you are so right. Team. Yeah, a player on another team who needs to change the scenery. I, I'm I'm just saying, whatever Bruby's system is and whatever his plans are and whatever their their long term uh, plans are for Robert Thomas and, and and meshing him in with somebody since he's you know under contract. Like, He's just, it's, he, it's just not getting done. He's just not blossoming. He's not blooming. A broken thumb does not prohibit your ability uh, to make plays and, and, to, and, to, and to be creative and be in the open. You know, Clearly, he can pass because even with the broken thumb, he, he's as slick of an outlet passer in the defensive zone as the team has as a forward. He doesn't turn the puck over uh, like Stanford. He can play along the wall uh, unlike Stanford. Uh, you know, there are things that he does that are, that are, that are very talent-laden. I'm just saying it. It's just not the, the the proof's in the pudding. The proof's in the production. It's got to be. It's got to be. The, yeah, but it's got to be the. Little, I look at the line mate on this one. To be honest with you, like there's when when you go through the list this year, and and he's only played 20 games. Okay, so he's missed. He's missed half the season. All right, and and the production is nowhere near where it should be. I mean, still, you're talking about a guy now, a 21st overall pick or 20th. Uh, was he 20th or 21st? He was. He was. Uh, he was a 20th overall pick in 2017. All right. 33 points in 70 games in the Stanley Cup championship year. 42 points in 66 games last season. All right. 10 goals and 32 assists. I, I'm looking at this year and I'm thinking, okay, your line mates are going because of the injuries all over the place. Bozak was in, then Bozak was out. Sometimes it's Sanford, sometimes it's Blay. I don't know that the lineup consistency is there. I, I think there is some pressure on Robert Thomas. I think some of it is due, but at just 21 years of age and a guy that's only played 156 games in the NHL, uh, I, I think he deserves a little bit of room to still be able to to allow to, to grow here. I'm, I, I put him okay. in my untouchable one unless you're really getting something back. I will be honest with you. If the Blues trade Robert Thomas or fail to develop Robert Thomas, shame on the St. Louis Blues. There have not been a lot of St. Louis Blues draft picks through the last few years that have come up with the pure, natural ability that Robert Thomas has on the ice. Robert Thomas is, what, 21 years old? You know, I mean... 21. I mean, Robert Thomas is... Robert Thomas, I'm going to have to get a hell of a lot more for Robert Thomas than the Devils got. I mean, the Devils basically gave up two veteran guys who could make a difference and all the Islanders gave up was likely a bottom six, uh, number one draft pick, a, a 27, 28 year old prospect who, when you're a still a prospect at 27 or 28, says that you're about as useless as a screen door in a submarine and a forward who's better at the fisticuffs than playing shift to shift. I don't think the, I mean, I, I think basically New Jersey. Just roll the dice that they can find something at the end of the first round this year for two veterans they weren't likely to retain. But I don't think they got a lot. I mean, if if New New Jersey offered this the same deal for Robert Thomas with what they what they sent to or what they sent to the Islanders, I would say, are you kidding me? Robert Thomas has the ability to be, in my mind, a legit number one center in the NHL. How many prospects have come through this organization? That you could say has have legitimately the ability to be a number one or okay. two center in this league. Well, let's, let's go back to Fabry then. I'm not saying trade Robert Thomas individually. I'm saying you know 
if there's a package deal out there, if you're going to get rid of Schwartz as a UFA, who's having a worse season than Taylor Hall, I might add, who's going to be a UFA, and he's been pulled out of games as trade bait. You know, Jaden Schwartz is in a contract here. There's, I, I can't imagine the Blues giving him a monster deal based on the year he's had this year. 19 games without a goal. I'm just saying, if you SPB the next two games and you think you're not going to be a playoff team, and you, you, now you've gone from Stanley Cup finalist to conference regular season leader, first round knockout to non playoff team in two years, it's time to shake things up. You know, at, at some point, the Blues gave up on Fabry, who was a first round pick. I'm just saying, at some point, you got to shake things up. You can't go into next season with 95% of this year's roster if you don't make the playoffs. Listen, right, I, there's I a think difference still... between shaking things up and tearing apart the core. Trading Brady Schwartz. No, trading Schwartz makes sense on several levels, including the fact that this team can't afford to keep him based on the way that, for the most part, he he is he is sort of uh, wallowed the last couple of years. He hasn't shown significant upside. Robert Thomas, Robert Thomas is a potential difference maker. Robert Thomas has far more upside than Jaden Schwartz ever had based in his career. What? In my mind, based on what? Based on natural ability and what he has shown to, uh, on on the ice. I mean, the fact of the matter is, again, this guy's twenty one years old. Tim, he's freaking twenty one. What are you kidding me? You know how many twenty-one-year-old prospects the Blues have had with this type of potential? Shame on this! Shame on this team if they don't find a way to develop Robert Thomas. Guys, not shame on Robert Thomas. Shame on them. Yeah, but okay. So look, Robert Thomas. What? what I, I I think I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with what Tim's saying here, and the reason is is I disagree even, with both of them. Well. What Tim is saying, Tim's not saying you have to trade Robert Thomas. Tim's saying he may not be untouchable depending on what a package looks like. And 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 that there might be some legitimate thought to that. The, the only thing is, logically, though, you've got a flat salary cap. It's not likely to go up, and you've got cost certainty in Robert Thomas. Now, you go back and you look at that 2017 draft, all right, Nico Hirscher was taken first overall by New Jersey, then Nolan Patrick, then Miro Haskinen. You've got Kale McCarr, Elias Pettison, Cody Glass, Leas Anders, and Casey Middlestad, Michael Rasmussen, Owen Tippett, Gabriel Velarde, Nick Suzuki, Cal Foote, Brandstrom, Valimaki with the uh, uh, with, with Calgary, right? Josh Norris. I mean, Robert. All those guys were taken before Robert Thomas. If you stack up the 2017 draft. Robert Thomas is the fourth most points right now of any player taken in that 2017 draft, and he's only 21. But to Tim's point, so I, I actually I agree with you, John, that he's the guy you keep, and if you can't develop him, shame on him. But to Tim's point, you are looking at a team that could potentially miss the playoffs two years after winning a Stanley Cup with a payroll that's going to be close to $90 million this year because of long-term injury situations and a core of these group of guys. At that point, you do have to look at every potential option that's available. And at some point, too, and this will pull it back more into the Schwartz front, if I go back to when the Blues traded TJ Oshie, a trade I'd still like to have back, by the way. Much as I did like Troy Brower, that's a trade I want back. All right? Uh, But when the Blues traded TJ Oshie, part of their thought was, okay, well, we're going to have to have cap room to re-sign Tarasenko and, and do these other things. Okay, great. No, no problem there. At some point in time, 
You're going to have to find a way. If Robert Thomas is going to be a top six player, if Jordan Cairo, who was playing on your fourth line last night, is going to be a top six player, who's coming out of your top six? So it might be where you've got to make a move to make room for those guys in there too, and that's all part of this process. And based on your own words, and I'll keep this quick, based on your own words, Shen wants to play center. So if you look at the Blues' depth at center of guys who prosper at center and want to play center, O'Reilly, Shen, Sunfist. Right now, in terms of production, in terms of what I've seen, Robert Thomas, if he wants to play center, ranks fourth on that list of guys who prosper and play their best hockey at center, John. Uh, I would say third. I wouldn't just, I mean, he's not going to be a one or two, but that talks to depth, that talks to skill level. If Robert Thomas is your third center, you're in good shape. I mean, at some point in time, I, I, I don't know how much Bozak has left, to be honest with you. You know, I don't, so I don't think you're going to be time, able to afford to bring Bozak back, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, there, so there you have it. So, I mean. I mean, unless he takes a pay says, cut. No, and, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Robert Thomas is soft. Now, how physical is he willing to be? Is he going to be your typical number three center? I don't know. But there aren't a lot of centers that have the natural ability that Robert Thomas has in this league. At 21 years old, I'm not ready to call it quits on a premier prospect. I am not willing to call it quits yet. So I reached out to just make sure I get clarification on this. I was sitting during the intermission last night and started going over our roster saying, okay, let's have some expansion draft fun. And maybe one of these upcoming shows, you know, we're, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to make the entire show about who to protect and who not to protect. You get two choices on as a team you can protect seven forwards three defensemen and a goalie so seven three and one or you can protect eight skaters and one so if you want to protect your top four defensemen you have to expose more forwards I have little doubt in my mind that the St. Louis Blues right now when I look at the math I I don't see how it's possible you do the the eight and the one I I think you got to go the seven three and the one and unfortunately for me I know this is. I know that people, we just get done talking about the skill of Robert Thomas and Schwartz. I'll throw a guy to me that, in my book, is untouchable for a St. Louis Blues right now. Tim, Ivan Barbashev, and people are going to go, "Okay, seriously, Curbs? Did you just? Did you really a guy that you're putting on the fourth line, guys? I'm telling you, the way this team is built and the way this team is coached by Craig Berube." Two of the most important people on your team are going to be Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev. Now, you're going to protect Sundquist, right? But Barbashev is the guy I don't want. And if I'm Ron Francis and I'm looking at the St. Louis Blues and I'm looking at potentially who's available for you, right? The names that are going to be available for you that you're going to look at, you're going to look at Sanford, Blay, Barbashev, Dunn, or Huso. Not sure Huso's the pick. Like I, I'm not sure that's not their pick. I mean that's that one's going to be a challenge for the Blues. But outside of that, um, I mean, if if I'm Ron Francis, I'm taking Ivan Barbashev. I mean, and and as a St. Louis Blues guy, that's a guy I don't want to lose. I'm watching him fly up the ice. I'm watching him two games ago play in a top line role. I'm watching him play in a fourth line role, having effective there. I've seen him play. I've seen him play center. In a playoff series win over Minnesota, you've seen him playing on the left wing, the right wing. You know exactly what you're going to get. And with the predictability you need in a Craig Berube system, that's a guy that I don't know if you put a T or a U next to, Tim. But for me, I'm putting a U next to him. 
Well, when I, when I played this fun game of math, expansion math, uh, at the beginning of the season, it came down to Barbashev or Dunn. Is it, it was sort of what I had, and that's and that's with that's with keeping guys that I thought would have good years. You know, I, I I've sort of tinkered with that a little bit. I, I think it's I think it's best to have this conversation once the trading deadline has passed, and and, and perhaps our our next our next version of this episode should do that. But that's who I had at the beginning, and you know, um, Vince Dunn. You know, I mean, the guy was plus two last night. I thought he had some fine moments last night, but he still has moments where. His hands are soft, and I can't believe – I mean, I say to myself twice a game, I cannot believe he didn't get the puck out of the zone. I said that about a lot of guys last night, but I say it about him too much. And and I, I, I don't know whether or not Seattle would even be interested in him, uh, considering the money he's going to want uh, in, in a year in which he's, you know, eligible for a raise. So um, I like Barbashev. You know, I like Blay. I like uh, a, a lot of the young guys that are, that are bangers and that are hitters. You know, I don't mean to. I don't mean to be the schlep rock rain cloud hanging over the head of uh, <laughs> of Robert Thomas. I just expect more. You know, I think that's uh, very it, fair. It, 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 it's to the point where. Well, I, I started. I, I started out my by saying that I expect more out of Robert Thomas, but that doesn't mean that expecting more right now out of Robert Thomas relates to oh, I'll get rid of him. I do expect more out of Robert Thomas. That's how the conversation evolved. I expect more out of Robert Thomas because I think Robert Thomas has the ability to make it be, be a difference maker. Robert Thomas, at his best, gives the Blues a much better chance of winning a playoff series or getting to the playoffs than virtually any other player on this team that is playing subpar hockey at this point. At, at some point, John, though, the numbers have to make you say, wow. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's had two points. Blay has passed him in points. Barbashev has passed him in points. I mean, Kyle Clifford has one fewer point. I realize Clifford's played a lot more games. You know, at some point, though, that one goal, five assists, 12 shots in 20 games, over the course of an 80-game season, Robert Thomas is on pace for a 24-point season. All right, he played 20 games. That's, 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 Awful. You guys want to know I what my crazy? You, you want to know what my crazy? Last thing on this, and, and then I want to get into uh, while we have some time. I, I want to get into. Uh, I want to get into Vancouver, and I want to get into this trade that we saw between the Devils and the Islanders because I think it sets the tone. Oh, oh, and I got to tell you, have you guys heard about Dubliner Irish whiskey? Dubliner. Double. All right, all right. I'm gonna. Okay, before the end of this, that's 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 our uh, that's our spirit here of the week. Or the that's where the bourbon part. And I realize it's Irish whiskey, but. Bourbon had a B at the beginning of it, folks, and that's why we did bourbon, biscuits, and barn burners. So, anyhow, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because somebody gave me a gift as a bottle of this, and then I, when I was reading the label, I went, oh, my gosh, we probably shouldn't have drank that one so fast. But anyway, the uh, who was the last St. Louis Blue to hit 80 points in a season? Oh, God. Barasenko? Nope. It's been – has it even been done this century? Has it been done this century? That's a great question. Yes, it has been done this century. The last, uh, Saint, wow. the, the last St. Louis Blue to hit 80 points in a season. Okay, now look, that's, that's not a small point total. We get it. That means you're averaging a point a game, okay? All right. 
But the last St. Louis Blue to get more than 80 points in a season was Pavel Dimitra back in 2002-2003. Yeah. We're talking, uh, eight, could, yeah. we're talking 18 seasons. Now, Vladimir Tarasenko's come really close. All right, And I thought last year was going to be the year that it could happen because the Blues' power play was clicking. The only chance you have of somebody hitting that total is you got to have them getting some power play points as well. All right, But I bring this up because if you look at Jaden Schwartz's stats to wrap up this topic, Tim, which was, by the way, a brilliant one to throw out there. All right, The most points that Jaden Schwartz has had in the season is 63. Okay, he, He's been a 25-goal scorer essentially three times in the career. But So Jaden Schwartz for you. Is, is pretty much you know he's going to get you in a, in a full season uh, for him. You're talking between 50 to 60 points would be would be the number to expect from Jaden Schwartz. All right? 60 points on a season for Ryan O'Reilly with all those ups and uh, the, the defensive uh, aspects of his game that the Blues rely on, that's really important. Braden Shen, that same thing, probably in that, you know, 50 to 60 range. You don't have that dynamic guy – that's that's going to get you, or that's knocking on that door. Now, if you're spreading depth around, that's okay. But to your point with Robert Thomas, he might be one of those guys where he's going to get you to 55 assists in a good season and maybe tax in 20 goals on, on a hot year. But, I mean, think about that. We don't have anybody, really, except Tarasenko once or twice, you don't have anybody that's that's really threatening it. Braden Shen actually might have a couple of years ago. I think he had that 70-point season with the St. Louis Blues, right? But, so, again... Spreading it out is one thing, but I think it's pretty fair to to expect some more. But you're gonna, but he's either gonna have to earn it, or you're gonna have to open up some room where you have no choice but to put him in a top six role and then see where it goes. But but you right now the best thing you've got, I don't know. I, I look guys, I, I obviously I think the Blues still can make the playoffs. You're three points out with a game in hand and one head to head game against Arizona, so you control your own destiny in my book on this one. But the reality of it is is the 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 stark kind of almost harsh reality of it is for this hockey team is that you you still don't have enough production from those middle-level players to give you faith that that's the direction you should be looking as an organization yet. Does that make sense? It does, and, and Doug Armstrong has a history, you know, and, and again, I, I throw the name Robbie Fabry out there, a first-round draft pick who blossomed decently early and then his production declined and declined and declined. And then finally, he has an 11 goal year and was uh, and got benched uh, it, back in the 2016-17 season was his last year, and uh, and they bounced him and he got a fresh start somewhere else in Detroit. And you know they're a terrible team, and he's one of the better players on that team. And, and he's had a, a, a decent career, not a great one. He's not an all star, uh, but you know I, I think it's comparable apples to apples to look at Robbie Fabry and Robert Thompson. And, well, and, and the Fabry Blues dealt with two nasty said, injuries too. I agree, but 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 I agree, but and and, and that even makes my point maybe even a little bit more specific is that Doug Armstrong, it's not unprecedented for him to give up on a young talent and to say let's let's try something else. It's it's not unprecedented in his tenure as the Blues general manager to do that. So Robbie Fabry went in and basically asked for the trade because he realized that there was no room in this lineup. It was stacked and. Doug Armstrong was actually a big fan of Robbie Fabry's. Really liked him. Liked him personally, too. I'm telling you, what you want to talk about a great guy to be around and the personality of him. Robbie Fabry was awesome. Like He's one you still pull for. He's 25 years of age. He had the, the, those, those injuries basically took him out. 
Uh, albeit the, it was leg injuries for him, but it took him out the same amount of time that the shoulder injuries took out Vladimir Tarasenko. You know, and and that so the chance just wasn't there in Barubi's system for him, so they made the move. To that point, which may be part of the point you're trying to make, you either make room for Robert Thomas in the top six, or you've got to question things. Except for the fact that his season has gone bad enough that it, he's this is the last year of his entry level contract. If there was ever a player and the way the season's gone where he just walked himself right into a bridge deal that you know is team friendly, well, that's it. This was a year you'd, you, I mean. Look, if, if Robert Thomas busts out and had a 70-point season, a 50-point season this year, boy, that'd be something else. But that isn't happening, and that actually might benefit the Blues moving forward for the next couple of years. And, you know, look what, look what Armstrong did with Tate Thompson. Another first-round draft pick who, you know, scores three goals in 41 games and, and is big, he's got size, he's still going to blossom. You know, Doug Armstrong sold high on Tate Thompson and ended up with Ryan O'Reilly as a result in a package deal. I'm, I'm wondering if it's not time to sell high. John Hadley still loves Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas still is a fabulous skater, and, and I think he could be a great playmaker, you know, maybe an Adam Oates type that, that has a 4-1 to one assist ratio and needs to be put on a line with a sniper on a consistent basis. I wonder what things would look like if he played with Tarasenko and uh, Schwartz or with Shin or with whoever on the left wing. I wonder what it would be like if he played with a guy who has the quickest release on the team, and that's Tarasenko, because this team still consistently – Corral talks way too long and, and doesn't shoot enough quick snapshots and one-timers. That's a whole other concept. That's a whole other conversation for a different day. But Armstrong has sold high on young guys before. Well, if you were going to compare Tage Thompson to Robert Thomas, that's ludicrous. And and what what did Fabry? Fabry missed a season and a half? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken? Basically two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then comes back, and the Blues roster has been rebuilt. He sees it himself. I mean, you're talking about two completely different circumstances. Yeah, but John, he's not comparing. So, he's, no, not, not. he's not. He's not. He's not. He's not comparing Robert Thomas to Tage Thompson. He's using. He's using first round draft picks at a young age being used by Doug Armstrong to make moves to improve the team. As well, examples, uh, that, and that's that's fine when you're doing a theoretical Excel sheet. When you visually use your eyes to see what might be, what could be, and in theory, what will be, there's no comparison. There's no comparison between Tage Thompson and Robert Robert Thompson. At no point in time will, did you ever think to yourself, wow, Tage Thompson's Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas is Tage Thompson. Number one, Tage Thompson was one of those, I don't get it. I still don't get it. Oh, thank God he's gone. Hey, John, let me ask you a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, and you can use decimals if necessary, on a scale of 1 to 10, what kind of year is Zach Stanford having, and what kind of year is Robert Thomas having? Uh, Zach Stanford has had much more opportunity than Robert Thomas, and Zach Stanford's been healthy all year. So what's so your I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you based on this year on their play up to date because it's like comparing apples and oranges. Zach Sanford has had every opportunity to flourish with this organization over the last three years and has failed to do it. If Robert Thomas had played 40 plus games and was, and, and, and this, that, and the other thing, maybe a different situation. If Robert Thomas is playing, if Zach Sanford's playing out of position, 
I might give him a little bit more leeway. And yet Zach Stanford is the sixth highest scoring forward on the team. And yet and yet he's in he's deeply mired in your doghouse. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you were asking the same question, nine nine to one starts with a number higher than five. Jim, I made a lot of money doing stats for teams, for networks. I get stats. I also know the downside of stats. I understand that in total. How much time on ice has Zach Sanford had this year vis-a-vis Robert Thomas? It's not a legit comparison. It's, a, it's just not when you just get, when you try to use raw numbers like that. And secondly, you yourself have come to accept that Zach Sanford is the biggest waste of a God-given body in the National Hockey League. Robert Thomas has shown flashes of brilliance that leads me to believe I need more time with him in this organization to determine whether or not to give him up. Oh, well, let's, let's go get a top six forward. I think Robert Thomas is a top six forward, and he's 21. No, I'm not going to back down on Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas, to me, is a key to the future success of this organization. He's that skilled a player. Yeah, it's but, just but a I matter am curious. of finding a way. I, I am. <laughs> I got to be honest. I'm, I'm loving the debate between you two. Uh, I'm curious what a package for him could look like. Because I'm wondering, now, now, I'm, now I'm just going to play devil's advocate, and, and I'm probably just extending this topic much longer than we should have. But just devil's advocate here, John. You've got Braden Shen under contract for the next six years, right? You've got Ryan O'Reilly under contract for the next two. You've got Tarasenko under contract for the next two. Who knows what's going to happen with Jaden Schwartz, who's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year? Gone. Okay, so <laughs> sometimes one-word answers are just awesome, right? Sometimes one-word answers are just awesome. I guess I guess the point is, is if let's just say for the next five years, because I'm thinking you're going to extend O'Reilly, and and let's just say for the next five years, your top two centermen are are Shen and and uh, and 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 Ryan O'Reilly. What if you what if you got a good skilled winger in a deal there? Because you also have Sunquist and Barbashev potentially as centermen there. I mean, uh, I'm telling you, it's. It's not that far fetched of a thought to be kicking some tires and be intrigued by by to see what happens because you, you could end up you could end up in a deal where you get an equally skilled winger for him that actually might be better at the moment. I don't I don't know. It's uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna totally poo poo the idea to be honest with you and and say I'm not even gonna consider this. There might be a package worth considering. Well. See, now you're at a point in time where you're talking theoretics that you have to start factoring in salary, salary cap, expansion draft, yada, yada, yada. Because that player could wind up altering the entire financial aspect of this team. That's true. Robert Thomas is not going to cost you a lot of money. Yes. Just not. Right. You know, I mean, there's this, this, is, this is an onion that has many layers. Not like parfait. Uh, everybody likes parfaits. Parfaits have layers. Parfaits right. really good with bourbon in it. I might add. Uh, that's true. Hey, speaking of that, I'm going to throw this at you. All right, so uh, I'm going to I'm going to switch up because then I want to I want to get real quickly into into those other two topics around the National Hockey League. All right, so for as a birthday gift, a friend gave me a bottle of Irish whiskey called the Dubliner. Okay, 
And this was bourbon cask aged. It's it's the great thing about Irish whiskeys is how they'll age them in, you know, sherry barrels and stuff. But okay, so the Dubliner Irish whiskey um, was, I mean, it was smooth. It was excellent. I'm trying to look and see if it tells me here on the back. It says, uh, fueled by the spirit of home, our rich history and heritage is warmth and welcome. Blended from a selection of malts and grain whiskey, we're a glass. We raise a glass to the city of Dublin. All right. It was bottled and and, and it was matured in Ireland, but in oak casks, okay, for a minimum of three years. But as they were tasting this and, and, and some friends were over and they're like, man, this thing is smooth. I'm like, I know. I hadn't I'd never tried it before. The bottom of the of the front label. They, you know, you'll see batch numbers, right? The batch number on this one was zero zero one. <laughs> How many bottles per batch? That I don't know, but it was after we drank the whole bottle that I realized, oh, we probably could have milked that one a little longer. <laughs> Literally, there wow. were like four of us, and it was so good. Like, we, like we we took down the whole bottle, and then I'm really kind of like, holy cow! Batch number zero zero one uh, of that one. Holy smokes, was it good? So anyway, if you get around out there and, and you're looking for something different, you say, okay, uh, I'm going to get off of my bourbons this week or uh, vodkas or whatever. I'm going to try an Irish whiskey. Um, the Dubliner is worth the try. So uh, head over to. Head over to Randall's or your local liquor store and uh, check out check out the Dubliner. So that that's one to write down, fellas, and let me know if you end up trying it. Pretty good. I used to love, go, I used to love going to the Dubliner downtown St. Louis with a buddy of mine who's from Bulgaria on Sundays. And unfortunately, the pandemic has uh, shut the place down. Yeah. But on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, the place was just rocking with all these European St. Louis natives that are watching soccer overseas. And it's like, you know, you're walking down the streets, it's quiet Sunday, birds are chirping, you know, where's my where's my coffee and paper? It's 10 in the morning, and you walk into the place, and it's like walking into a zoo. <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, that was an awesome place for that. It was surreal. Hey, let's uh, let's throw, uh, go back to the National Hockey League here before we wrap up this week's edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. I'm Chris Kerber, along with John Hadley and Tim Woodburn. Um, the, Veg- the Vancouver Canucks have been smoked, decimated. By one of the variants of of COVID, twenty one players as of yesterday. A coach, a couple of staff members. It may be late next week before they are able to return to playing games. At some point, the National Hockey League is going to have to really make a decision here, where you could end up seeing you could end up seeing three divisions, guys, all in the United States playing their fifty six game schedule, and the playoffs are based on points like you would expect and potentially have the one division where the standings have to be decided because of points percentage. This this is a story that is still very much worth following. This one you don't brush under the carpet. Well, they yeah. average eight, eight points out of a playoff spot with one one game uh, more played than Montreal. And, you know, you know they, I mean, the NHL did it last year. Buffalo got screwed and didn't make it into the bubble playoffs because they played two fewer games than Montreal, and they finished three points behind them. Uh, and they got they got bounced, and the NHL precedent has been set on this issue. COVID affects winning percentage. COVID affects games played. Uh, you're going to have to go that way. Not that Vancouver would make the playoffs anyway in that division, but uh, you know. And then at some point, if you're Vancouver, uh, having that long of a layoff, you know how how fair is it? And how safe is it to bring guys back without having a couple practices under your belt? 
and uh, you know you want to be competitive, and, and you also want to maintain the, the safety and integrity of your players. So uh, I'm not saying they should throw in the towel because I'm sure the guys want to play, but it, it's to that point where it's it's it's, it's real decision making time for them and for the league. Well, I'm not so much worried about Vancouver because I mean that division has pretty well been determined, but the curb's point that does have. It could have a big say in the way that the seating goes. And while Edmonton's record and their accomplishments this year is, is is certainly admirable, I know this much right now. I would much rather play Edmonton in the first round of the playoffs than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah. I would much rather open up at home than the road. So Vancouver's inability to come back and make up some of these games could very well determine the fate of certain teams in that division and how those playoff settings all come about. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be curious for me to see how they play this thing out. The, I guess the good thing is Vancouver was well ahead of the curve when it, comes, when it came to games played. You know, I mean, even right now, if memory serves correctly, they're only two or three games behind the rest of the division and games missed. Yeah, but you know what? But, You're right. But that could end up being about seven or eight by the time next week. Oh, yeah. And, no, and, it, and it, it's going to include games against both the Oilers and Winnipeg, you know, which could determine, you know, their, their, uh, uh, their seat in the standings. Because let's not forget, while Edmonton's sitting there second in the division, they're only a point ahead of Winnipeg with Winnipeg having a game in hand. The Canadians, by the way, sitting there fourth in division, uh, six games behind or six points behind Winnipeg and seven points behind Edmonton, have three and four games in hand with those teams respectively. So, well, you know, it, it, the games, this, this the is going to be curious been, to see how it plays out. The games that have been postponed. Okay, right now, one against three of them already. So they're not scheduled to play a game until at least Saturday the 17th. Okay, so we already know that next week's been postponed. Three games against the Edmonton Oilers, two against the Calgary Flames. And and now the Cal- Calgary is even further behind Edmonton or Vancouver when it comes right. to it. All right, and then two against the Winnipeg Jets. That's That's what's been postponed and making sure, yeah, well, another one against Calgary uh, that, that was back in March. So it, it is going to be an interesting scenario. If you're the National Hockey League, you're kind of counting your lucky stars, thinking that, okay, at least they're eight points out of a playoff spot, and some things could seem insurmountable depending on how it goes. So if they get, let's say, I mean, let, let, let's say you get another, let's say, well, if they end up starting, if they can play on March 17th, right, that leaves them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. At least seven. Give me a second here. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. They could play eleven of their games. Okay, eleven games remaining. Based on those eleven games, could tell you if you have to extend their season at all. You may not even have to extend their season. In, in all honesty, and I think teams are just going to have to accept it. Hey, before we run out of time here, and we'll wrap it up with this, John. I know that trade yesterday. We've got the trade deadline coming up in the National Hockey League on Monday. We'll bring you an episode of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners after that. but And it'll be an interesting one for the St. Louis Blues. But now you've seen a bit what the uh, 
what the price has been set. The New York Islanders given up two prospects and a first-round pick for Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri, two guys that were unrestricted free agents. Good for Travis Zajac, by the way, who's only been to the playoffs once in the last nine years with the New Jersey Devils, that after playing over a 1,000 games for that franchise, is going to get a run at a potential Stanley Cup with the New York Islanders. Kyle Palmieri moves with them, too. But now the focus will turn to Taylor Hall, but it does set the table there. And the New Jersey Devils, uh, probably because of the relationship with Lou Lamarillo, who is now the general manager of the New York Islanders, those two teams have been some bedfellows here over the last couple of seasons at the trade deadline, and this is a heck of a trade for the New York Islanders. There's no question. I, I think the Islanders already have uh, the most underrated number one line in the NHL. They lose Anders Lee, a huge loss for that hockey team. I think you could make the case in point he was a leader of that hockey team. And they pick up two veterans who've been through the wars, who know what it's all about, instantaneously if they wind up playing together regularly, giving New Jersey about as good a number three line as anyone uh, in the um, in the East. Uh, and, and, and again, if you look at the two prospects that they get back, one's in a guy 27, 28 years old, who in my mind can't be considered a prospect. The other guy is basically a fighter, and they give up a first-round draft pick that you know, I fully expect the Islanders to be one of the last eight teams standing, so it's not going to be a high draft pick. And they pick up two veterans to bolster that team significantly. The Islanders were a team, in my mind, that had to be contended with because for some reason, they're virtually unbeatable at home. Uh, and and they could very well, could very well be the number one team in the East when it's all said and done. I, I think it's a huge pickup. The, the, that Islander organization from the top down has gone from the laughing stock of the league to literally one of the best and truly has become one of the best stories in the NHL. And frankly, I've become an Islander fan. I think it's a brilliant move. Um, giving up a basically in my mind, New Jersey got two veterans to bolster themselves down the stretch for a first round draft pick. That's exactly what they did. And as a barn burner curbs to wrap things up, I want to tell you one of my favorite memories of the St. Louis Blues, and I agree with John's assessment on the Islanders trade, by the way, what a what a great pickup for what they gave up. When the New York Islanders were, were just rambling through the NHL, Bossy, Trottier, Pot, Van Gillies, and all those guys, and winning four cups, they came into the Checkerdome one night uh, at dominating the National Hockey League, and the Blues were a so-so team. And it was their one visit to St. Louis, I believe it was 1980 or 1981, and the Blues were a so-so team that year. I don't even think they made the playoffs that year. And the Blues put in – I actually got a ticket this game. The Blues put in a goalie by the name of Rick Hines, who was the backup to either Leuter or, or somebody. And the Blues came out and smacked the New York Islander and Trotsky and Boston and all the rest of them around, smacked them around six to nothing in the Checkerdome. And to this day, maybe my favorite regular season game I've ever attended in my life with the St. Louis Blues was that night because – all the kids in school talked about it. Everybody talked. Everybody talked about that game for weeks. Didn't matter what the Blues did; they just knocked off. You know, David just beat Goliath and smacked him around six nothing with a backup goalie in the net. One of my favorite Blues memories ever. I love it. I love it. Barry Trotz, by the way, the head coach of the New York Islanders in the last sixteen years. Now, remember, for the fans out there, Barry Trotz was the original head coach of the Nashville Predators and was their coach from the 1998 season all the way through the 13-14 season. 
in the last 16 years. So with the Predators, they missed the playoffs their first five years in the league. That's not a shocker because expansion was done differently then. But then they made the playoffs. Teams coached by Barry Trotz have only missed the playoffs three times in the last 16 years. In the last one, two, three, four, five, in the last six years, his teams, which is the Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders, and of course they won the 18 Cup with the Capitals, he's gone to at least the second round, right? At least the second round of the playoffs. They got a hell of a coach with the New York Islanders oh, yeah. there. It's it's something yeah. else. They've only lost, uh, I believe, three games in their last 18 outings. And last but not least, and I'm going to shut up as we wrap this up, as I opened up my notebook, keep this in mind. Entering this season, Robert Thomas, <laughs> Robert Thomas was averaging 0.55 points per game. He was on pace to average 42, 43 points a game playing about 13 minutes a game. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Say, Oftentimes, wait, 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 wait. You, you misspoke there. He was on pace to average what? You said 43 points a game. What, what do you mean? Oh, yeah, 40, uh, roughly 42, 43 points a season. Okay, gotcha. Playing 13 minutes a game. There's not going to be a lot of guys playing out of position, averaging uh, a half a point a game with about 13 minutes of ice time. Well, no, no. Tim, I'll that, choose, that, I'll choose, Tim, that means he'd get a hell of a package, wouldn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so starting next week, I'm going to find two hockey partners and you guys can do your baseball show. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, guys, that debate was spectacular and awesome. Awesome job this week. Thanks for uh, doing it with us every single week. Uh, I guess we'll get together early next week after the the NHL trade deadline and kick around what we saw happen around the National Hockey League. We'll do a broad NHL uh, edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Sounds good. Thank you. Crap, we went way too long. Nah, that's good. We Don't stop when we're on a roll. All right, check it out. Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners will back with you after the trade deadline next week. Download on all your favorite podcast platforms. John Hadley, Tim Woodburn, I'm Chris Kerber. Have yourself a great week.